0: Welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, my name is Kristen Orr. Uh, I
1: started Four Hill Farms and I milk cows and feed calves and make corn mazes and I love farming, and I love the pancieras and my father loved the pancieras. We've been connected for a long time, since I was like four years old. The the generations have been connected.
2: Hi, I'm uh, Carla Pansiera, and I was raised on a dairy farm, although I no longer milk cows and feed calves. I miss it some days. Um, I live in Rowley, Mass. Right now, I grew up in Westerly, Rhode Island. I recently retired. my job as a high school English teacher, which I loved. And I am a poet, a short story writer. And then I have a new memoir called Barnflower or Rhode Island Farm Memoir. And I think that's part of why I'm here today.
0: Yes. A little bit later in the show, we will talk, uh, Carla, about your memoir and you writing about your experience growing up um, in Westerly, Rhode Island in the kind of rural setting that you did Um, and hopefully Kristen can come in with her perspective as a current dairy farmer and um, will get the perspective of the then and the now of dairy farming and and living in rural rhode island Um, but before we get into that let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading Okay. Well, guess what? No, no lie. I'm reading Milk by Deborah <laughs>
1: Valenz. Yeah, I know. I It's unbelievable. I, I It's all about, yeah, the history of milk because I love everything about milk. You know, almond milk took the word milk because milk has such an awesome connotation of just good wholesomeness. You, you know, you can, if you were stranded on an island, you could actually survive on just milk. And did you know that Wall Street in New York City is named Wall Street because the Amsterdam farmers that came from Holland built a wall to keep the cows in? Wall Street is really the cow fence. <laughs> really. I mean, I just love that.
0: Is that something that you learned from this book?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I, I, I just think that's so fascinating because, the, uh, and Carla will find out because she's coming to the corn maze, but my corn maze this year is about Thompson. I, I live in Thompson, Connecticut, but nobody ever told me what I'm going to tell you. Thompson, the man who Thompson is named after, was uh, the commissioner of the Royal Navy, and he was the fifth white person, meaning not Indian, to walk into the original Boston and so I have the wall that he had built. He had the colonists built that delineates New Boston. My town was, used to be called New Boston. And I have the wall, and it's 10 feet wide to delineate Thompson from New Boston. But why I'm telling you this is because I was telling you the New Amsterdam farmers built a wall in New York. Well, it wasn't New York City. It was in New Amsterdam, to keep the cows in. Well, it turns out Thompson, the man, was the person who renamed New Amsterdam to New York. Wow. Because he knew the Duke of York, which I thought was pretty cool. And that's what the corn maze is about this year, Thompson. Because all my life I've lived in Thompson on a dairy farm, and no one in history class or anything ever told me anything about Thompson.
0: It sounds like, you know, like what you've been reading in this history of milk ties into a lot of of American history. Right. Exactly.
1: Because Manhattan had like 10 milk farms. And I did not know this because the breweries were there and they needed a place to get rid of their mash. Because we set, we we feed brewers mash to our cows now. So they knew back then that it was a very valuable thing to feed cows. It's so awesome.
0: So, Yeah, sounds like a great place for people to start if they, if they want to learn about, more about where milk comes from. Carla, what have you been reading recently? Um, so I'm doing
2: something called the Seely Challenge, which was started by the poet Nicole Seely, and it's in August you read a book of poetry a month. Mm. So I've read so far 21 books, and I think the best one I've read is by the uh, current poet laureate, Ada Limon, it's called The Carrying. Uh, so that's one of the things I'm reading that I would recommend. And secondly, I'm going to be moderating in a, another library, a discussion with Julia Glass. So I'm rereading Three Junes, which is just as good as I remember. And I'm heading to the library after this podcast to go get some more Julia Glass books.
0: <laughs> uh, so uh, besides reading, have either of you um, been watching or doing anything else interesting um, in terms of consuming media to fill your time? Well, not media, but
1: I've been, um, milking cows in a new barn. We have a new barn with robots. Oh, wow. So I've been spending all my time there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, uh, it's, it's not physical work now, really. It's more like, um, babysitting the cows and make sure they go into the robot and, uh, catching cows that have avoided the robot. Cause I grew up on a, farm that was a it was a lot of physical work and uh, my daughter kai's um went to suny cobleskill and found the six foot eight new york state farmer and brought him home he got right into it he mean we we built a methane digester to turn the cow manure into electricity and um we built a robot barn and it's fabulous Now we have the views of all the cornfields because everything's windows. Working with my daughter and her husband is just fabulous. They work so hard. We kind of like milk three times a day now. So that's what I've been doing. (laughs) The the media that I look at is uh, what's happening with the cows. They have collars on them. So when they get into the robot, it tells them everything about how many babies they've had, how many lactations how many days they're into the lactation they're on and how much milk they've given and how much milk each quarter has given and how much grain they've eaten or if they haven't eaten grain, um, all their health. Our, Our cows have a masseuse. It's like a rolling massage thing. And then um, they have a nutritionist, a podiatrist and a fitbit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that's probably very different, Carla, than your experience growing up on a dairy farm is how like automated even a small dairy farm can can be now.
1: <laughs> yeah, because we're not a big farm. We have almost 300 milking cows. you know we we don't we don't want to be thousands of cows because we love our cows and we name them and we know their numbers. You can ask me about 385 or 365 or waffles or pancake. We have like five people that know the cows intimately now. I just love farming. I love the land, the cows, and my family working with each other.
0: And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Do you enjoy knitting or crocheting? Join us at the Auburn Branch every Monday at 2 p.m. for their Knitting and Crochet Circle. Work on a project, get help with something new, or knit for a charity cause. Knitters and crocheters of all levels of experience are invited to join, no registration required. For questions, email auburn at cranstonlibrary.org. Users of Cranston Public Library can now access their favorite digital magazines using Flipster. Flipster offers an easy, browsable reading experience. Users can browse magazines by category, as well as perform searches for specific titles. An online newsstand provides a carousel of most recent issues, as well as a carousel of all issues, allowing for quick access to magazines. Go to cranstonlibrary.org and click the link Online Resources You Can Use Now, To find more information on how you can access Flipster, Flipster also has an app available on Android and iOS. I want to make sure that we have enough time to talk about your book, Uh, Barnflower, Carlos. I mean, you said it's a memoir, so it's about your life, but maybe a little bit more about um, the memoir and why you decided to write a, a story, a memoir, you know, about your life. I didn't plan on writing a book. I'm a fiction writer, really. That's
2: what I wanted to be, and I'm struggling with fiction. And so I, I, wrote. I decided one day I was just going to write this essay about one cow. This one cow we had. Her name was Darcy. She had been a 4-H project. My father was one of the people who began dairy 4-H programs in Rhode Island, and he would loan calves out for two years to 4-H kids, and and. Once the cows calved, which they do at two years old, start milking. The cow would come back to our farm and join the milking herd, and the kid could raise her calf or get another calf if she had a bull. And when Darcy came home, she just she didn't want to be there, so she kept breaking through all these fences to get back home. Oh wow! And at the time, I thought the reason she wanted to get back home is because the 4-Her who leased her was so handsome. <laughs> he was 16, I was 12, and I had a crush on him. And I thought, well, of course she's trying to get home. And, you know, the more I wrote about it, the more I thought about it, I realized, oh, she wanted her calf, of course, right? She wanted that that simple life she had where she was one cow and not one of, like, 225 cows. Um, and as I was writing that, I thought, wow, if I could tell Darcy's story, but I have all these other stories, you know, as Kristen was just saying, like we know our cows, right? So, I, oh, I could do twenty-nine story, and I could do Penny's story, and I could do Kitty's story, and I could do the whole story of Bettina's family, right? So, all these ideas came to me, and I felt really excited about it. And sometimes, when you try to write every day and come up with your own ideas, excitement isn't part of the game. And the more I wrote, the more I realized that really, there's nothing I could say about the farm that doesn't intimately involve my father and my relationship with him. And so, that's really what the book became.
1: That's awesome. I mean, my father, when we were down in Westerly, he would visit the pancieras just because they were at farm. Yeah. He wouldn't go to the ocean. He would go to the (laughs) pancieras.
2: Yeah, you could see the
0: ocean anywhere, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can't see the interesting pancieras anywhere.
0: (laughs) So it sounds like. The cows were very much at the center of the story. But you're saying as you worked on the novel, you found that the center was really like your father and and your relationship with him.
2: Yeah. I mean, my dad was a famous farmer. My dad developed a bull called Osmerdale Ivanhoe. Yeah. And um, Ivanhoe is still, you know, one of the foundation sires of the breed. And because of that, and, and in those days, the successful farms, by and large, were farms that were run by very wealthy people. So Ivanhoe's owner, his breeder, his original owner was a wealthy woman from Connecticut named Frances Kellogg, and she did a wonderful job. And she was an amazing woman, very forward-thinking woman, way ahead of her time, probably a hundred years ahead of her time. And she she sold the interest in, an interest in that bull to my father when the when the bull was only a couple of days old. And my father brought the bull back to our house. We had a herd full of his daughters. And so when people started uh, watching our cows go to fairs like Washington County Fair, the Big E, they, it generated a lot of interest in the bull. And ultimately, he was bought by a bull stud. So, you know, people all over the world knew my dad and I would be at fairs with him and I'd be sitting on the show box while he was getting his cows ready. And people would come up to me and say, are you Aldo Panciera's daughter? You know, and it, oh, well, that's awesome. You know, it's a bit of a rush when you're a kid. I mean, he was my, he was my dad, I was close to him. I spent every second of every day that I could with him. Um, my mother always was trying to get me to take swimming lessons or go to day mm-hmm. camp or do. And I didn't want to be anywhere except with my father. And then he also but he also, <laughs> but he also had this yeah. other celebrity going on. And so, you know, but the years that I worked with him, the Ivanhoe, you know, I remember the last Ivanhoe daughter, but that those kind of glory days were gone. And, and as Kristen knows, well, you know, farms are all about the work. There's a lot of work to farms and it's yes. the same yeah. work. every day. And when it changes, it's often doesn't change for the good. It's often because you're dealing with some kind of emergency or crisis or something like that.
0: So, uh, we already heard from Kristen a little bit about kind of what a, a modern small dairy farm is like with, that seems like there's a lot more automation and a lot more ways that technology can help you track things. Um, how do you remember cow farming being when you were growing up, Carla?
2: Well, I'll tell you when we thought we were all that is when we had automated grain feeders. I mean, you'd just like you'd yep. see a cow come in, different, different cows, depending on their lactation or how much milk they're giving, get different amounts of grain. Yeah. You'd have to put, you know, fill the bucket with grain, shake it in front of the cow. And when we began to turn those knobs, that was awesome. But we also had Holsteins and they're 1,500 pounds at full grown and they do a ton of damage to to. So the automation didn't really last that long, you know, in those situations, Um, the way that we knew how much milk a cow was giving is once a month, we would actually have a human being who came to our farm. And he would step into the pit with us and he would have this whole sheet with our cows' names on it. And he would say, Oh, okay, that's that's Darcy. Well she just gave forty four pounds tonight and tomorrow she gave you know, she gave fifty two and and then they would make these calculations based on that. So it was hard card data that was handwritten on those Xeroxed pages. I mean, we had things, of course, we have a a registered herd. You do have pedigrees, multi-generational pedigrees on your animals. You have birth certificates, those kinds of things, but not the kind of data that uh, farmers like Kristen's family are are collecting right now.
1: Believe me, this is, yeah, we've only just been in this barn three weeks, so this is all brand new. I mean, yeah, so it's unbelievable. Every day, I just go down there and count my blessings I'm just so so happy because we we can be with our cows and see them it it's all so new to me too because we were physical hard work in the other barn just just heavy you can see why people farming doesn't some go out of business because you can't even find help that will work that hard you know
2: Right. And that is something that was is the same now as it was then. You know, we really had a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. We can't find help because it's hard. It's really hard and it's smelly and it's, you know, <laughs> and you don't get Christmas <laughs> off or anything like
1: that. Yeah, we we're we're down to like five employees, and that's in, almost incl Well, like I'm not an employee because I tell her I'm going to clock out now. <laughs> duh, you know I'm not really an employee. I don't get paid, but I'm down there
0: six or seven hours. Um, so, Carla, what is something that you want people to take away from your book? Either maybe like um like changing a misconception about rural life or, or just like what, what do you hope people take away from reading your story about how you grew up?
2: Um, I think that's twofold. I think what's been great about this book, what's been my favorite thing. This is my fourth book, but I've not gotten the response from any of my other books, the way I've gotten response from this book. And partly that's coming from farmers and people who know this life and people I don't know, like I've seen comments on other people's Facebook posts that say something like, you know, she, I've lived that life. I understand that she got it. She understood it. And that, and you know, it was my life too, even though it isn't now. So I, that's been really good. I mean, everybody wants to see their story told somehow. And I hope, I really hope that I, farmers think I've done that life justice. That would be the highest praise. And it would also be The most painful criticism I could receive if they felt like I didn't get it. And then the second thing I think I want is that so many people are far removed from this life. You know, you know, my dad, my dad, yeah, my dad was born in 1911. And when I was growing up, there were were four dairy farms in Westerly. There are three working dairy farms in Rhode Island as a state right now. So you can see that this way of life is is gone, and I want people to understand that this is where your food comes from, and this is what it takes. And you can choose to have a beautiful farm like Kristen's, or you can choose to have a factory farm somewhere where nobody knows the name of the animals. And no, no family is really working as hard as they can to just keep that lifestyle and that land. So those are really two of the things that I hope the book accomplishes.
1: Yeah, I agree. You have to grow up with a love of the land and, uh, because just walking around with the cows, I mean, you know, when little boys come and then they hold their nose cause it smells and everything, I'm like, you know what? It doesn't smell to us. It, it's, it's a good earthy smell. And, you know, it's hard not to love a cow in India. They're holy for a reason because they realize that cows breathe with their diaphragm and, uh, That's why India held cows as holy, Mm -hmm. because they were they thought that they were meditating. So when I'm milking, yeah, when I'm milking, I watch the cows breathing and it's like meditation to me.
2: Yeah. And I I agree. Like you get up close to a big animal you do feel that especially a cow is so they're generally so calm, right? You feel that yeah. you internalize that. Yep. So the, you know, the book is, it is a love story about my dad, but it is a love story about that kind of life and about the animals. Um, you know, I, I you know, there are, it's not, it's not all serious. There's some funny chapters.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that's awesome because, um, you know, the word culture, you know, people think, "Oh, New York City culture." You know, culture going to the opera and everything. Well, the word "culture" comes from "coulter," a plow, culture, "coulter," c o u l t e r, and the first culture was agriculture. So, people that really get it is 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 just amazing, and I feel the same way about my father, and he'd feel so proud of you to have written a book to, that reveres your father, and when you emailed me i was like yeah come on <laughs> are you kidding yeah and there is uh, you know there is a brotherhood
2: I, you know i just spent two days at the washington county fair and i haven't wow. seen i haven't seen some of those kids in 40 years but they are the kids i grew up with and they are the kids who shared that life and and had your calves <laughs> yeah and i mean it was it was just amazing to see them and so you know i do think um i did love writing this book i i there's a lot at stake with a memoir. you don't want to get it wrong you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or something like that but um, but and the, I do I write a lot of poetry about cows as well Aww. and um, my friends who aren't farmers always read it and they're like, oh my god, I had no idea you had this wow. this knowledge like there's this this weird body of knowledge and skill set that you have growing up on a farm and then like in my life I don't really use it. And that's kinda of sad. I mean, I did one time I was coming home from dinner with one of my friends in my town yeah. and there was a cow standing in the middle of the road. And there are yeah cow. We weren't in the middle of farm country. It was just a regular street in a neighborhood. And I, wow. you know, I felt pretty good that I could get out of the car and my flip flops and go handle the situation. Yeah. But other than that, I, did, yeah. I don't really use those skills that often in my real
1: life. Yeah. Cows are really smart, really, because um I tell you, with this one, the newborn, there's a part kind of like a corral and this cow didn't want to be in the corral so she got down on her knees and she got under the there's you know there's new kinds of fences believe it or not when you we'll show you when you come to the new barn and she got under (laughs) the (laughs) fence she got down on her knees and even in the old barn in the old milk parlor she was hard to get in and she didn't want to be in there and she got out (laughs) like darcy yeah, yeah, exactly. They are smart. <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy that you liked that was in four H? Oh, I don't know. Is he still in Westerly? <laughs> yeah, he actually
2: lived in Connecticut too. He lived across. I lived in Westerly. Is for those of you who don't know, Westerly is the border Stonington, Connecticut. Um, we share a downtown and a library and a great library, beautiful library. <laughs> Fun fact: that library <laughs> yeah. was my church when I was
1: a kid. I oh, loved yeah, the Westerly oh, Library. Cool. Yeah. So Wilcox Park there was designed mm-hmm. by Frederick Law yeah. Olmsted. Yeah. And it turns out during COVID, the Historical Society came down and told me, Did you know Frederick Law Olmsted designed your not the not the original dairy farm, but Fort Hill Farms where the corn maze is wow. now and everything? Yeah. So um I go down to Wilcox Park and have them come up to the because I'm of two hundred and fifty five Frederick Law Olmsted properties, I'm the this is the only one that he didn't charge for. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's great.
1: So when you come, I'll take you around and show you all that stuff. Sure. But um...
0: but Carla, it's interesting when you said about kind of like, because I have the experience of growing up with my family, working for a family business, but not a farm. My stepdad's family ran a trash mm-hmm. company. So, but you say about like, you learn all these things that you then don't use as you like go on into your life. Like, I just have all of these, uh, this like weird knowledge about trash that people <laughs> yeah. are like, like, people just be like, like, I can tell you from the numbers, most places do this way. Some people don't, but I yeah. can tell you from the numbers on the cans, how many yards the cans mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. Uh, because the first two numbers will usually be what size the can is. So, yeah. Now I taught that fun trick to all of you all so you can all figure out how big the dumpsters you see on the side of the roads are, um, like with all the construction and things like that. But it's funny that, yeah, like it's, cause I was there like during the summer, my mom would take me to work and I would be in the office and I would like be bored. So I'd like wanna help her with things. And it, yeah, it's very funny that you kind of like, yeah, you could, you come out of it with this weird skill set yes. that becomes like weird fun facts. Later in your life
2: i was when i was in 4-h i did everything in 4-h so i was on the state judging team so i learned how to judge cattle and i was on the quiz bowl team so i knew all these facts about you know proteins and you know the parts of the body and all that and as a poet that specific language comes in handy in in the book too like there's a there's a um i went to the um bread loaf writing conference and because of this book and there was a chat there's a chapter in it um called the first story she tells of the place. And, and I talk about like the, the, you know, parts of the body, like the, the brisket of the cow or whatever. And the, the, the writing instructor brought that out as, you know, these are examples of specific language and it doesn't matter that sure. people don't know what those words mean. Like the normal person has eaten a brisket maybe, but they don't know where it is on a cow and a living cow. Right. Um, but you know that, so for a writer and a poet to have that bank of language is really cool. But I will tell you that the skills that transfer, if your family has their own business, you understand what it means to have a stake in what your parents do for a living and nothing replaces that in your life. It was invaluable to me to understand that in order for me to have the things I did from the clothes on my back to the education I received, my family had to work very hard and it gave me a different sense of appreciation for that. That's very true. You know, and I think the other kinds of skills we get as farm kids, again, I had this conversation with kids this past weekend, is we are very competent. We never get daunted by tasks because we've done it. Right. I mean, right, I learned to drive a truck right. when I was 10 years old, and the way my father taught me to drive it was the baler broke down at the end of one acre field, and the truck was on the other end, and he said, go get the truck. And I said, doesn't it have one of those clutch things? And he said, get the bleepity bleep truck. And I walked over <laughs> and I went bucking and stalling all across the field. But as a farm kid, you would never say, oh, I,
1: I don't know how to drive standard. I couldn't drive standard. Right. right. You did not do that. Yeah. I have a Willie's Jeep. And because um, the Jeep was my father's first tractor, they bought a Jeep. But I still have a Jeep that's a standard. Yeah. And it's burglar proof. <laughs> Nobody can steal it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That is the one. I did not learn to drive standard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Having my family work at the trash company. Did you drive the truck? No, no, I never had that experience. Some of my like my boy cousins did and yeah, yeah, we're like, I mean, no one tell the cops we're driving, we're driving trucks and things like not really off on the road, but like well before they had their license uh, or like equipment and things like that. I didn't do as much of that, but uh, my mom had said that she didn't learn to drive standard either, even though my mom's side of the family did farm, uh, like vegetable farming, yeah. so not oh, yeah. livestock. Yeah. Um. But still, oh, in the course of that, she never learned standard, and she always is asking my stepdad to teach her how to drive stick, and he's like, I'll teach her how to drive stick in a front loader yeah. uh, if you want. And so, yeah, it's kind too. of that funny thing of like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just yeah, just jump in a front loader. I'm you know sure what? you'll do great.
2: The other thing, Taylor, I noticed you said <laughs> the boys drove the truck, right? Yeah, yeah. On yeah. On the farm, my father was the first equal opportunity
1: employer. Like yeah, if yeah. He didn't care. <laughs> if he's got a body out there, yeah. My father wanted boys, and he yeah. had three girls, and he said then he finally. Uh, and, uh, when they w- it wasn't going to have any more, he said. Finally, admitted the fact that the girls worked harder than boys ever would have, anyway.
0: <laughs> so, but yeah, you you take who you can get in terms of of help when when like you said, when it's such such laborious yeah. work. <laughs> Which yeah, I mean, probably. yeah,
2: the first time I was ever exposed to sexism on the workplace is when I went to work in an office building in Boston. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We the farm because my dad was, yeah, she, she can handle it. You know, at, we used to have people who would come to our house all the time to look at our cattle and try to con- to buy cattle or whatever. And after a while, my dad didn't want to deal with them. And he'd say, Go on out there. And I'd oh, say, wow. Can, we, can, <laughs> we, so can awesome. we talk to your dad? Is your dad around? And he would say to them, She. Can he handle it, and <laughs> yeah. if you want something here, she's the person you have to talk to. And again, wow. I was probably fifteen years old.
1: Wow! You know? But how
0: empowering you know? for
2: you? Yeah, but you didn't. I didn't look at it that way. I just was like, yeah. this is the life we lead. This is this is our life. This is what we
1: do." Yeah. You know? So
2: <laughs> it's crazy to think of it now, my you know. But that I, it, it still happens for farm kids. I'm sure.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. One day, one day I was milking. I started milking. Then my father came down, and there was a cow that was very, very spicy. And I I would tell him, Dad, we got to sell her. We got to sell her. And she stepped on his foot and broke his ankle. And then he went to the hospital, and Kristen was left doing all the milking all by herself. (laughs) I wasn't even 15. Yeah, I wasn't even 15. Wow. And that's a lot because that's your income. That's our income, the milk. That was it. Yes.
2: I have a story in the book, same thing, a cow that just would kick, 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 kick. And I was trying to get my dad to get rid of her. Yeah. And then in another, another chapter, I'm trying to convince him to do a chore and he
1: does a different chore, does something yeah. else. He
2: breaks his arm. Yeah. He breaks his arm. Then who has to get out there,
1: right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, 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 I hear you because, um, one day my, the bailer broke and my father says to me, I'm going to go milk the cows and you got to bring the trailer up to the field and here's a pitchfork and put all the hay on the trailer loose i couldn't believe it the whole field (laughs) on the on the trailer i was i'm five two now so i don't even know if i was five two then (laughs) and if you see you know in the olden days those men putting the loose hay on the trailer Every time I go by that field, I thank my father for the work ethic I have. I still get up at... <laughs> Carla, I still wake up at quarter of four. Because you know what? I would rather wake up on my own than to be woken up by my father because he had... People all loved him, but guess what? He was a hard driver. Mm-hmm. He And I was the only daughter that milked, so... If, he, if I wasn't awake at quarter four, I heard his voice, and I'd rather <laughs> get up on my own than hear him.
0: So, uh, Carla, if people want to check out the book or your other work, uh, mm-hmm. where should they go online to find more information about that?
2: Um, you can put my name into Google, and my um, blog will come up. And I did spend the last the last year... Doing some related stories to the book in preparation for people to read the book, just to give them some background. Uh, the book is from Loom Press in Amesbury, and you can definitely buy it from the publisher. You can buy it from any online um, book sources. You can come to see me at Kristen's Farm in. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm coming there in October.
0: For a book signing,
2: and the Cranston—I'm coming to the Cranston Public Library at two thirty
0: p.m. on October fourteenth. So you can check out our website, CranstonLibrary.org, for details of the event and register. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library of bookish-related question. So I thought I would ask you both, where is your favorite place to read? I have a weeping beech. I made a little office
1: under the weeping beech. And I have a table and a chair. And the weeping beech was planted by Frederick Law Olmsted. And it has all curly branches and everything. And one of them is perfect for me to have a desk. It's a desk, a living desk. Under this tree. Wow. Yeah, so I'll show you when you come. Uh, I like to go to
2: bed relatively early. That's probably farm day stuff too. And I love <laughs> to take a book with me when I go. I'd love to read a book before I fall asleep. So, I and I listen to tons and tons of talking books when I'm out when I'm driving, when I'm out working, when, you know, walking, weeding my garden, whatever. Um, yeah. Always have four or five books
1: going yeah I do <laughs> I have one at my daughter's house at the farmhouse I have one here I have one in the jeep I have one in the pickup truck and I have one upstairs and one downstairs in my own house
0: yeah Carla has there been any interesting like is there any interesting audiobooks that you've listened to recently that really stand out to you as well done that you've enjoyed I love listening to Kate
2: Atkinson's books on on uh Online. I just love the British accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a great writer. She's an amazing writer. And, and you know, whether she's writing something like, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but the one that keeps reliving the World War II bombings in England, mm. you know, that's a really profound book or the mystery series that she has. But I love, I love those books. Love listening to those books. Um, and I, you know, I listen to podcasts. I, I listen, I'm always, I don't like to just kind of, I don't know, I have to be busy. Again, I think as, as, a, <laughs> as a legacy of being a farmer's kid, yeah. I have to be busy all the time and that is whatever I'm doing and I'm accompanied by some kind of story or podcast. You know, Eva, I, you know I do sometimes, I love quiet too, but just always been a bookworm.
0: <laughs> so thank you both for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. Um, If you would like to reach out to us and answer our last chapter question or just reach out to the show, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can also reach out to us via social media with the hashtag #downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime.